0: 1973, there was a study done that interviewed 2,500 people, and they asked them to list uh, their greatest fears, and uh, as you read through that and you think through that for a second, you would think that the fear of death would be at the top of, you know, everyone's list and would be the greatest fear for most people, but it wasn't. In fact, only 19% of the people uh, put that the fear of death was one of their greatest fears. It was the same with sickness, the same with the fear of drowning, the same with financial trouble, and the fear of bugs uh, was all included in that. How many of you are afraid of bugs? Okay, a few of you. And... Uh, The reason I don't like bugs is because things like moles come when you have bugs. And I hate moles and gophers and those things that tear up my yard. Yesterday I posted a picture of my very first conquer of a mole. I caught a mole in a trap. I've been trying that for decades. And and, uh, I finally got one. And Some of you think that I'm not spiritual because I killed a mole. And I would say you need to find another church. Uh, I, don't, I just think somehow the devil got moles into the equation, and, and uh, they tear up your yard, which is God's creation, and, and uh, they're just not good for anything. But the fear of bugs, uh, the second most common fear was the fear of heights. 32% of people saying they're afraid of heights. How many of you are afraid of heights? Okay, some of you in the room. So what is the fear that made most of the list as the greatest fear? <clears throat> 41% of people said the fear of public speaking. Is their greatest fear? How many of you would say that is true? Uh, yeah, a bunch of you in the room. If that is the greatest fear, uh, that makes me the bravest man in the room today. <laughs> in fact, I'm an expert on fear because and, and, uh, I face the greatest fear and do it every week. But in reality, the truth of the matter is we all have fear, right? All of us face uh, fears. And it's not just public speaking. There are real fears out there. And society is sort of made of fear right now. And This is the way that our society and our culture is operating. It seems to me that the news media is dependent upon us being scared. And, and that's why they have created all these crazy graphics and sound effects that go with their blurb of what's going to be the headline on the news uh, tonight as they advertise. You know, uh, th- this weird graphic and sound comes up that says there's a funding cut at the zoo. And and, uh, you know, and then the next line says, could wild animals be loose in your neighborhood uh, you know, because they didn't get the money for the dolphins? I, I, I just think the fact of the matter is, is if we took the poll today in this room, we would get a different result. And it would be different than it was in 1973. In fact, I would say, uh, based on the people that I talk to and pray with, that the number one fear among Americans today is the fear of finances. Whether it you know, ranges from the, the fear of losing a job to the fear of losing your retirement to the fear of running out of money and the phrase that just permeates our culture today uh, that we've just gotten used to is in this economy. You know, under the circumstances kind of is the way that that plays out, but in this economy, you know, we've done really well, or in this economy, you know, we're okay, or in this, considering the economy, as if no one is successful in our culture today, as if no one's making any money, which is not true, drive through the mall or Walmart, and you just look at the way that, but the type of phrase in this economy puts everyone on edge and creates a fear and a culture of living in fear, and today I'm beginning a a brand new series, and we're going to focus on being strong and overcoming fear and preparing for victory instead of defeat, and it has application to every single person here today. It has application to every single person you know. In fact, I would say this series is an invest and invite uh, king. You've got to go bring people with you over the next several weeks because everybody deals with fear. And everybody you know and everybody you've ever thought about inviting to church needs this series and needs this message. So go get them and and bring them with you and ask them to be your guest over the next couple of weeks. Uh, But we're going to look at one man in the Bible. Over several series. And the one man in the Bible who was sort of fearless, but the fact of the matter is, he didn't start out that way. And a truth that I think you ought to pay attention to is that nobody's born brave. Nobody we we, we got to deal with our fears, and we have to overcome our fears. And over the next several weeks, we're going to walk through a book of the Bible. The book that we're going to look at is the book of Joshua. And I want to invite you to follow along. I want to invite you to read through the book of Joshua on your own and in your own time so that you come uh, ready. In fact, for those of you who are on Twitter, in fact, I, I, I encourage all of you to get on Twitter. And, and we're going to do the hashtag during this series, Be Strong. And if God gives you a word of wisdom or a scripture out of Joshua or a victory over something, hashtag your tweet with the number sign, Be Strong, and then we can all follow that hashtag. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, welcome to 1995. And it is time for you to come along and follow along. There's a thing called a microwave now that you can put your food in and punch a button, and it will nuke it. And zap it. There's a thing called Twitter. Follow along on the hashtag. Google this, get somebody, go get a four year old to teach you how to do this. And, and we'll all follow along and we'll journey along with all that God is doing in the body as we all share our stories at that hashtag. And, and so we're going to go through the book of Joshua. Now, obviously, we can't hit everything in the, bush, in the book of uh, Joshua, every single verse or theme there's a lot of material there, incredible amount of material. But we will hit the highlights. And the truth of the matter is this. You could take any one verse of Scripture and preach on it for the rest of your life. This book is so amazing, and it is so living, and it is so remarkable. One of the church fathers, uh, uh, St. Augustine, he said of Scripture, he said of this book, that it is so shallow that a child will never drown in it, but it is so deep that no theologian, theologian will ever touch the bottom which is exactly what is true about it. It is the book that God wants to use to impact our lives and change our lives and speak to our hearts. And and so as we walk through this, it's fathomless. You'll never reach the end of it. And if you're not studying it for yourself every single day, I think you're missing out on one of the greatest riches available to the children of God and, and to the heirs of Jesus. So open your Bible to Joshua chapter one. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. The sixth book in the Bible, and, and uh, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are what's referred to as the law, or the Torah. This is the first book after the Torah, or after the law. Joshua is the story of victory, and it's the story of winning. And we all love victory, right? And we all love winners, and, and uh, the truth of the matter is, is if you, you know, I, I, watching Arkansas play football last night was just awful experience. And they got beat by Northwestern Louisiana State in overtime, which is a cosmetology school. And the, 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 it's just atrocious. In fact, I'm thinking seriously of only cheering for OU now. And... and uh, but OU will get picked off one time this year by a no-name team. Every year that happens. And OSU got blitzed yesterday. And it, it, it is a, It's just a trouble. But we love winners, right? And, and we all hate losing to this unhealthy experience. We all hate losing. But, but it is also about not just winning and victory, the book of Joshua. It's also about overcoming defeat and overcoming fear. Why? Because there's plenty of that in the world we live in, right? There's plenty of fear, and there's plenty of defeat, and we have to overcome that. This is the actual story. Joshua is the actual story of the children of Israel. They've come out of Egypt, and now they are entering into the promised land. Amazing truth for us today. I don't know if I gave you this on the notes. Uh, Yeah, I did. On, On the notes, the three main parts to the book of Joshua. The first part is crossing the Jordan River. That is them getting ready for war. And we're going to talk about that. The second part of the book of Joshua is them fighting the enemy, taking the land, war. And all of us deal with war in the Christian life today. The third part of the book of Joshua is possessing the land. And you say, well, what's the difference there? There's a difference between possessing the land and taking the land. When you take it, then later you have to possess it. And we'll talk about that in the next several weeks. But I know I'm going to get the question, what does this Old Testament book have to do with us today? And I'm glad that you asked today. There is a new covenant correlation to all of the Old Testament. It is a spiritual book, and it is written for our spiritual lives, and, and, and it's about taking hold of all of the promises that God has for us. While we were in January in the series called Giants, while we were doing that series, God wrote something on my heart, and, and he's told me that part of your role, Alex, as a pastor and a pastor of pastors is to take people into the promised land. What is the promised land? I've always equated the Old Testament promised land as heaven for the New Testament believer. But I gotta tell you, God is showing me that's just not accurate and it's just not true. That, that the promised land in the Old Testament can't be related to heaven because the promised land in the Old Testament had enemies all in it. And, and the people of God had to go into that promised land, take it, possess it, and kick the enemies out. So the promised land in the New Testament's not heaven because there are no enemies in heaven. Right, They're not going to make it to heaven. The enemies are here in this world. And the promised land is about us as a believer living the victorious life that is available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And many believers are in the land but not possessing the land because they're not kicking the enemy out of the land that that were there before us. And so as we look at this scripture, I want to take people into the promised land. That's the reason in January I decided to preach through Joshua uh, this fall as we walk through this book of Scripture, and it has all kinds of implication for the believer today. The first task is getting ready for victory, to prepare yourself for battle. It's the major lesson that Joshua shows us in the opening verses of the book. The title of the series is Be Strong, and the reason I titled that is three times in chapter 1, God told Joshua to be strong, do not be afraid. In verse nine in verse six, he says, be strong and courageous. In verse seven, he says, be strong and very courageous. In verse nine, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. I think God's trying to tell Joshua something. And I think he's speaking to the heart of Joshua. Now, who was Joshua that God would be speaking this to him? Who, who is this guy, Joshua, that is now the leader of the children of God and the people of Israel? Well. We know that he was part of the children of Israel who came out of Egypt, right, in slavery. We know he's a part of that crowd. According to Exodus 17, he is the commander of the army under Moses. So he's right underneath Moses as the commander. In Exodus 24, we see him as Moses' personal assistant. In Exodus 33, uh, there's a pause in, in the journey. Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. He meets with God, and Joshua went with him. And Joshua was even assigned the guarding of the tent of meeting, where Moses would go in and meet with God. So that's who Joshua is. And you would say, well, it sounds like Joshua's a big deal. And it sounds like Joshua was a very brave man. Why would God tell Joshua not to be afraid? In fact, Joshua was handpicked by God to lead the people of God after Moses' death. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses commissions Joshua. And guess what Moses says to him in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 31? Don't be afraid. Be strong and be courageous. Guess what God says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 33? Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, the only reason God and the only reason Moses would say these things to Joshua, follow me on this, is he's scared right? Why, why else would they continually say to him over and over and over, do not be afraid? Why would Moses repeat it four times? Why would God repeat it three times? Because Joshua was obviously afraid and he had some fear in his life. And again, I want to say to you, no believer and, and no hero is born brave. That's just not how it plays out. They become brave. They become strong by facing fear and overcoming that fear. All of us face fear. All believers face that and, and deal with that. And so Joshua is obviously afraid. They're repeating it. And I just want to say to you today that God did not disqualify him because he was afraid. Being afraid is not a sin, ignoring the command of God is. And God's giving him the command be strong. And be courageous, and he's given us the command today. First, let's look at what Joshua might have been afraid of. I'm just kind of processing that as I look through the first few verses of this chapter. I think he could have been afraid of death, right? I mean, he's facing mortality here. Look at verse 1 and how the whole story begins. After the death of Moses, that's a great way to start a book, isn't it? After the death of Moses, uh, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead, Wow, you've just been given a promotion. You've just been called up. And now God comes to meet with you and give you the instructions for your new job and the very first thing he says is, Moses is dead. You talk about taking the air out of a balloon. Or or, or out of a party, all right, God, you know, talk to me, speak to me. And what God says is Moses is dead. Now, of course, Joshua knew that, right? I mean, he already knew that Moses was dead. In fact, in the original text, when you look at that in the Hebrew, it says God looked at Joshua and said, Arise. Why? Because he was laying on his face mourning the death of his leader, mourning the death of his mentor over Moses. And so death is something that he's facing. Maybe he was afraid of death. Death is a natural part of the cycle of life, right? Joshua just faced his own mortality. He'd seen his mentor die. Surely he's thinking about his own death. Every time I perform a funeral... I, in the midst of that, I face my own mortality, and I face the fact we have not educated ourselves to the point we're going to beat death, right? All of us are going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And, and God is saying to Joshua, hey, it's okay to be afraid of death. I understand that, but you got work to do, and I'm giving you an assignment. Maybe he wasn't afraid of death, or maybe not only death. Maybe he was afraid of isolation. After Moses dies, Joshua is now the oldest guy in the camp. Now, I don't know what it feels like to be the oldest guy in the camp, but some of you do. And and, and the oldest guy in the story, story here, maybe Caleb, you know, he and Caleb. Now, you think through the story. Forty years ago, they're coming out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They go into the Promised Land. Moses sends in 12 spies and Numbers 14 is where this plays out if you want to go look it up later. And they go into and they spy out the land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back out and say, let's go do it. God gave it to us, we can do it. And the other 10 say, let's get out of here. There are giants in the land. We cannot do this. And only Joshua and only Caleb said, let's do it. And so God says in that moment, only Joshua and Caleb of this entire generation will enter the Promised Land. And so Joshua has watched all of his friends die. They're all gone. Everyone he knew from childhood, is gone. Now your boss and your leader and your mentor, the one who has been leading all of this is gone. And you're the one in charge. I'm going to tell you, it had to be lonely. Nobody remembered the music, you know, that you liked when you were a kid. Nobody knows what you used to listen to. Nobody understands the shows you used to watch. VH1 is now airing shows about what life was like when you were a kid, right? And and, and so you you want to feel old, look back on it, and think, "Man, that's a long time ago." The 80s were not yesterday. We're getting older. And and as this plays out, Joshua's watched watched all of his generation die and gone. And and he has to be lonely and feel isolation. And you can start to feel out of touch in in that moment. And and he's tempted to think, no one's going to follow me. They're they're too young and I'm too old. But God says differently. God says, no, Joshua, I've chosen you and no one else to lead this generation and to lead my people. Look at verse 2. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. It's normal to feel lonely and isolated. It's normal, I think, to fear rejection. And maybe Joshua's afraid of rejection. What if they don't listen to me? Right? And what if they reject me? What if they don't follow me? What if they don't believe me? These are all real real fears that we all face. We all face the fear of rejection. What if I get passed over for a promotion? What, what if she says no? You know, I, I think one of the most amazing things about all these dating shows on television today is that they play off of fear. One girl gets the rose and the rest cry into the sunset, right? and, and, and Which is another reason not to watch those shows, they're just stupid, really. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, is they're playing on fear. Those girls don't like that guy. They just don't want to be rejected. And those guys don't really like that girl. They just don't want to lose. And, and the whole concept of the show is playing off on fear. And, and uh, you know what? I, I think he could have been afraid of failure. Look at the task that God gave him. Look at verses 3 and 4. I promise you what I promised Moses. In fact, throw up a map while I read this, if you would, guys, on the screen. Just let them read the verses in their Bible, but put the map on the scripture on the screen. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites. Now, this is way bigger than modern-day Israel. Way bigger. I mean, it includes all of modern-day Syria, Jordan, all all the way down. And Joshua is getting this command from God. And as Joshua is getting this command, that is a lot of land. Everywhere your foot steps, monumental tasks that God has given Joshua here. And even if Joshua for a moment had thought this was up to him to take all of that land and to conquer all of that territory, he'd have run for the hills with his tail tucked between his legs. Right? He, He knows He could not do that. The sheer fact that he accepted the challenge tells me that he didn't believe it was up to him, that he knew God was in control of this, and God was the one who was going to take care of him. There there are many other things that Joshua could have been afraid of. He could have been afraid of his enemies, the fear of the unknown, the wild animals. The list goes on and on and on and on. And The point is this, that in our lives, fear is normal, but it should never be permanent for a believer. You need to write that one down because that is a tweetable statement. Fear is normal, but it should never, ever be permanent for the child of God. It should never be permanent for the believer. And God commanded him to be strong and courageous. It was a command. And he gives us the same command today. So here's what I want you to do I want you to, let's just call time out for a second in, in the service. And I want to ask you to think about your greatest fear. I want you to think about it. A couple ladies caught me after the service, said I couldn't think about it in the service, but as I walked out, God showed me what it was. What is your greatest fear? And if you don't know what it is, ask God to tell you what it is. And then I want you to just take this little note and I want you to write it right over here. What is the thing you fear the most? What is the greatest fear in, in your life? And I want you to write it down. And today, we're going to lay out this road map for overcoming fear and for preparing for victory in your life. And Joshua had to follow the same road map in order to be victorious. The first step on this map that I want to show you today, the first thing, even before he entered the promised land, he stood on the promises of God for him and his people. And that's the first thing. You want to overcome fear and you want to be strong, you've got to stand on God's promises. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he made a stop at Mount Sinai. I alluded to that a moment ago. Moses and Joshua go up on the mountain to meet with God, and God delivers the law to Moses at that point. He speaks the law, what we call the law, to Moses. Moses brings the law back down the mountain, and he speaks the law to the children of God. We have that recorded for us today. It's basically the book of Genesis. God spoke Genesis to Moses. He comes down, he speaks it to the children of God, and we have it recorded for us to read today. And in the law and in the story that God speaks to Moses in that moment is the, spiritual, the story of their spiritual and heavenly father, who is who? Abraham. And and God tells them the story of their spiritual father Abraham and what he did and all he did and all that God had promised him. No less than three times in Genesis, Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that the children would possess the land. He says to him, look as far as you can see, in every direction I am giving you the land to you and your descendants. And so Joshua knows these promises. He was there, he heard them given for the first time. 40 years before, and now he's at the precipice to walk into the promised land. And let me just tell you something. When you get a vision from God, here's where visionaries miss it. They don't miss the vision, they miss the timing. That God tells you something and he gives you a vision from something. And if it is a vision from God, it will play out. We just sometimes get confused about the timing. And we think it's tomorrow or the next day. But God says, no, no, it is going to play out. You just don't understand the timing. And now it's 40 years later and Joshua is there standing at the Jordan River. And he's going to take God's people in and God repeats the promise to him again. And those promises were not unfamiliar. They were promises that he knew. And when God spoke them 40 years earlier, they probably struck a chord in his heart. And God, today, I'm telling you, I hear it from believers all the time. And I experience it personally. God's promised you something. And maybe He's promised you some things. And he's spoken to your heart about things and he's led you you in your spirit towards some things. And and some of you even say, God has sworn it to me, but but it hasn't happened yet. And it feels like it's never gonna happen. And the temptation and the fear is to think this will never play out. The temptation is to think maybe you've done something to disqualify yourself from the promise. The temptation is to think that maybe you didn't do something you should have done or or to believe that God has forgotten about you on the backside of, you know, the the hills somewhere. But it's not enough. Listen, it's not enough to say, God promised me this, I'm good. It's not enough. You got to stand on the word of God. And Joshua knew that. Look at verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 8. I encourage you to memorize verse 8 this week. Memorize Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I think it's part of the hinge pin of the whole book. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Are you understanding what he's saying? That the word of God was a crucial part of Joshua's life. That the word of God was the map that Joshua is walking down and walking through and standing upon. That he received the word of God in his heart. He meditates in it on his, in his mind. He speaks it and recites it out his mouth so that he can speak the word of God with power. Which is the second thing on the map. Walk in God's word. It is not enough just to have God's promises. You got to know His words. And the Word of God, the Bible, is the basis of all of His promises. They can be found here. And I got to tell you, if He gives you a promise and you can't line it up with Scripture and it contradicts Scripture, it's not a promise from God. You got to hear me when I tell you that, and it just has to make logical sense in your heart. That if God promises you something in your mind, you think God's promising you that, and then you go check it out in Scripture, and it contradicts Scripture. You didn't hear from God. On a half a dozen occasions, I've heard people sit in my office and say, Pastor, God told me to divorce them. That wasn't God. Why? Because you read the Word of God, God hates divorce. You're never going to hear this pastor say, I think you should go get a divorce. I don't say it. I just got to confess to you, there have been about three times that I thought it. I thought, you need a divorce. Uh, but I don't say it. Why? Because I can't find it in Scripture. And, and as that plays out, and as you look through this scenario, you've got to realize that if God's promising you something, it's going to line up in consistency with His Word. And, and you've got to go find the Word that matches and stands with you on the promises that God gives you. Are you tracking with what I'm saying here today? That that they all can be found here. Every promise of every spiritual blessing can be found in this book. And they're also the confirmation of anything that God tells you personally. You back it up with the Word of God. In order to do that, you got to know it. And so I got to say to you, you got to get into the Word of God. And God calls, at this point in Scripture, his book and his Bible the book of instruction. He calls it a book of instruction. It's an instruction manual for life, and so you've got to study it all the time, daily and consistently. I think that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is a great place, another verse for you to memorize, that all Scripture is God breathes, right? and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That's the way I memorized it. But this is a different translation on, on the screen. It, it is the key to success. In the life of a believer, that, that you want to be successful in life, you've got to study the Word of God, become a student of the Word of God. All of the Bible is for our instruction, not just the part that lists instruction. Some of us are linear, and I just look for the outline all the time. And I'm looking for the list of the things that God is saying and doing. But, but that's not the only part. The stories are for us. For us to learn from and to live by. The, the poems and the proverbs and the parables are, are for us to live better. It is a spiritual book and we are spiritual beings. It's not just a history book, it is a spiritual book, and God is speaking to our spirits and He wants to lead us in a relationship with Him through this book. Look at what God told Joshua. And how to study the Word. Meditate on it day and night. I think for the last several generations in Christianity, the fear of Eastern mysticism has kept believers from meditation. We're supposed to meditate, not in some Zen weird way. We're supposed to meditate on the Word. Day and night, we're to meditate on the Word. What does that mean? The Hebrew word for meditate, it also means to mutter means to speak it out loud. I mutter the word of God all the time. I call it pulverizing scripture. When I am trying to learn a verse and trying to understand a verse of scripture, I will take that verse and I will read it at least as many times as there are words in the verse. Each time emphasizing another word. And just take 2 Timothy 3.16, the one I just quoted to you a minute ago. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and writing. All of it, what does it mean, all of it? And I'm journaling, all of it. Well, it means from the beginning to the end. All of the scripture is useful, right? And, and, and then all scripture, what is scripture? Well, it's the word of God. It's, it's the verbal, the written word. of All scripture is useful, what is you? And so you do that and you walk through that and what are you do? You are meditating in the word. You're not just reading it, you're meditating on it. And you're, you're letting it go in here so that it's here so that it can come out here and it would be useful, that you could speak it at a moment, uh, as moments noticed. It would be an it is written on your tongue, in your heart, and in your mind, that they would read the Word of God out loud is how they would meditate on it, and there's power in that. you got to memorize the Word. I'm fearful, fearful, in a series called Be Strong for the Next Generation. And i got to tell you, one of the reasons I'm fearful is with the, the iPhone and all of the technology that travels in our pockets... What did we do before Google? How did we check homework before Google? We had to remember it, right? I don't. We're at fifth grade. My daughter's in the, no, seventh grade, I'm sorry. And one's in the fifth grade. And one's in the third grade. And one's in first grade. And my seventh grader has passed my ability to remember. I don't know why we combine letters and numbers. It's a silly game we play called algebra, right? And it has zero use for life. I mean, unless you're going to be an engineer or something or Bill Gates, the rest of us, we don't have any use for it. And and, and so we got to use it. What do we do? And the teenagers, they they got the Bible, which is really cool, at the tip of their hand. I mean, they just pull it up and open up the Bible app, and it's there, and, and they read it, and they study it right off their phone. But my fear is that they're not going to memorize Scripture because it's all right there. And the point of all of this, what God was telling Joshua, you got to put it in here. And here, not just in your hand, you've got to put it in your heart and put it in your mind and meditate on it. In those moments of fear, you just speak a word of God out loud, and you begin to see your enemies flee. And it's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan. And we should do the same thing. we got to learn it, study it, and speak it. Let me show you how this works. And, and, and as you wrote down your greatest fear a moment ago, go back and look at it again. Read it again. And I don't know what it is. It may be the fear of death or the fear of finances or failure anything. And then I want you to write underneath that what God has promised you. What are the things that you feel in your heart that God has promised you? What has he said to you? The promise that you stand on. The next step is what we just said. Find a passage of scripture and write that down underneath that. What is the word God spoke to you from his word? Find a verse in the Bible that addresses that fear. Memorize it. Speak to it. Study it. Cling to it. I love the cling to the word. You've heard me talk about it a couple of times. If you were to walk out into the parking lot right now and look into my car that is sitting right out that back door, you will see across the top of the windshield these stickers. These clear like oil change stickers at the top that have verses of scripture on them. And on the mirror, you'll see those. I, 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 I come to a red light and I stop and my eyes immediately shift up to the top of my windshield and I'm memorizing and meditating on the word of God. Putting it in here, putting it in here, speaking it out loud, cling to the word. And now you can use these. Our student ministry, by the way, is selling these to raise money for student camp next year so that we can scholarship a bunch of kids to camp. They've got them at Midtown. They've got them out here in the point. If a teenager approaches you and you want to use this, use it. If you don't want to use it, don't do it. You want to write it on a note card? Fine, write it on a note card. You want to chisel it in a rock. Carry the rock with you. Whatever you want to do, but do something to get the Word of God and memorize Scripture. The simple application is this, but there's one more step. That we not just... Stand on the God's promises and move, or stand on his word. But number three, we move with his presence. I told you about the threefold outline or plan in Joshua. Is they cross the Jordan, they fight the enemy, and then finally they possess the land. So we start with standing on the promises. Then we engage in the battle, but then we have to stake a claim in the land. And in his presence, As the children of Israel wandered through the desert for those 40 years, God led them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and at night with a pillar of fire. And when the cloud moved or the fire moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped or the fire stopped, they stopped. Everything, again, in the Old Testament has a spiritual equivalent for the New Testament believer. What does that mean? That means that the cloud and the fire in the Old Testament represents what? The very presence of God that we would move with the presence of God. And when God moves, we move with him. When God stops, we stop with him. Otherwise, we get left in the dust, that we go with God. So Joshua knew this principle, and he knew that God was moving, and he was committed to move in the presence of God and to move with God. Look at verse 9 as we walk through this chapter. Verse 9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, how could God be with them? This is before New Testament. This is before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit lives in the life of every believer. How would the presence of God go with them everywhere they went? Because they followed in the very presence of God. And when you follow in the presence of God, we live as strong children of God. We don't live in the land of what if. And if you live in the land of what if, what if that fails, what if that doesn't work, what if he says no, what if she rejects, what if, what if, what if. When I say what if, if is I fear. We don't live in the land of what if. As children of God, we live in the land of I'm following God. I'm with you wherever you go. Fear is the great immobilizer. It gets us stuck right where we are to the point that we can't move. But God is moving, and we have to abide with him. I've taught you abide. If you haven't done the abide groups, In the advanced groups, you need to go do the abide group. And and in that outline, I taught that we look, listen, live, and learn. Look, listen, live, and learn. That's how you abide with God. You look to the Word of God. And, And what does the Word of God say? You listen to the Holy Spirit of God. What is he speaking to my heart? And then you obey it. You live it out. And as you live that out, you learn. And you're wiser for it. And you're growing in your relationship with the Lord, which leads you back to look at the Word of God, listen to the Holy Spirit of God, obey him, and learn from it. That's all it is. And we follow this principle of abiding over and over and over, and God's moving, and he wants you to move with him. But, but if you let fear into your life, it will freeze you, and you will not be able to move with the presence of God. And God wants you to go with him. It's the great immobilizer. It is the tool that the enemy is using in the church today to stop the church dead in its tracks. And he doesn't care. The enemy does not care if you know God's promises That doesn't threaten him. He doesn't care quite honestly if you know the word of God. He probably knows the word of God better than any one of us in this room today. And he doesn't care quite honestly what you believe. And if you believe the word of God, he wants to stop you from acting. And he wants to stop you from moving in the presence of God and moving with God. You can stand on every promise of God. You can stand on the very word of God. You can study his word, memorize it, and quote it. And I'll even say this. Obey it to the letter of the law. But if you don't abide in the presence of God, it will amount to very little in your life. And you've been following along, and some of you have been tracking along in your Bible, taking notes in your Bible, and you're saying, wait a minute, he skipped verse five. It wasn't on purpose, and it wasn't an oversight. And I didn't miss a page in my notes. I think verse five may be the crux of all of this. Look at it. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. What what do you think God's trying to say there? I think he's trying to say, listen, I had a conversational relationship with Moses. And I'm about to have a conversational relationship with you, Joshua. And that was a big time promise in that day. But when you fast forward that to today, to our relationship with God today, is that not exactly what we have? We have a conversational relationship with God. His greatest promise for all time is that I am with you and, and I'm gonna walk with you. Now take a look at how, how this works. Matthew chapter one, verse 23, the first indication of who Jesus really is gonna be in, in the New Testament. Listen to what it says. And they will call him, anybody got that one memorized? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? What? God with us. That's who He is. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have God with us. And then we have the record of all that He did on earth, all of His teachings and miracles and His sacrifice, which led to the cross, which led to His glorious resurrection. And then look at the last thing in His resurrected state, Matthew 28, verse 20. The last thing He says to His kids as He huddles them up and He has ascended. To the throne, and he says, "Be sure of this." Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Do we have that one to throw on the screen? And be sure of this: I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the bookmarks of Jesus, Matthew, the beginning, chapter one. See Matthew twenty-eight, the end of Jesus on this planet. He's promising, "I'm with you." And I'm not going to leave you. And it's the one thing he promised that he would never leave us alone. That he would be with us. Now how does that work? Do you see Jesus? No. It happens in the person of the Holy Spirit. You, you jump into Acts and He said, I'm going to send one that is like me, but different. In like fact, you told him, don't go. And birth this thing called the church until the Holy Spirit comes. To dwell within you, and the Holy Spirit wants to be present in our lives and active and moving in the life of all of the children of God. And I gotta tell you, there's a conditional part to Matthew twenty-eight twenty. I hear people quote this all the time: that you know, hey, I, God's with me everywhere I go. And I, I, yes, the Holy Spirit lives within inside of you, but the presence of God and abiding with Him is not about Him following you around like a dog on a leash. It's about us following him around. That when the cloud moves and the fire moves, we move with the very presence of God. Where is God at work? And I want to join him in where he is at work. I'm not making up something to do for God. God is already at work all around us. And I join him in that work. Listen, Matthew 28, the verse before, 19, Jesus gave the disciples instructions. And he said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Listen, I think the presence of God that he's talking about in verse 20 is contingent upon their action and going and moving with the presence of God, doing God's agenda, not go do whatever you want to do and God's going to follow along behind you. No, no, no. We go do what God wants us to do. He's God. He's not on our leash. We're on his, and we walk with him in his presence to accomplish His desire and His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. a Great Commission, we call that, verse 20, results in the presence of God in our lives and there's a pendulum that swings and and it swings in this city crazily. And on one side you've got those, I, I talked about this in the night of worship. The truth that my denomination, I was raised in, I mean, we're truthful. Man, we're going to stand on the truth and, and, and it's going to be true and we're going to know the word and we're going to live in the word. We didn't care anything about the spirit. Truth. And on the other side of the equation, some of you raised in a denomination didn't even know what truth was, you just had the spirit. And it didn't matter if it was true or not, just if you wanted to run around, you just run around because the spirit was present and we're going to follow the spirit, we're going to move with the spirit. And and somewhere in the middle, Jesus said, true worshipers, worship me in spirit and truth. That there's a pendulum, that that there's balance in that, that we walk in truth and we walk in the spirit. But that pendulum also swings related to this, is what's my part and what's God's part. On one side of the equation, my denomination said, we're going to do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. And we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do what's right, we're going to do it because it's right, and, and, and we're way over here on this side of the equation. The other side of the equation says, well, I don't have to do anything, God's going to do it. And I'm going to wait on God to do it, which creates a welfare mentality in Christianity that God's just going to do it all for me, and i just sit down and I don't have any part in it. If that were the case, God would just take us home. And there's some balance in this midst, and and there's right and wrong on both sides of the equation. But I'm saying to you, as a believer, you gotta beat fear and you gotta identify it. But it's not enough to identify it, you gotta face it and you gotta overcome it. And that can only be done by stepping out and acting on the Word of God. You got a child that's afraid of the dark, listen, you gotta put a Word in him and you gotta put Scripture in him, and then you gotta let them sleep in the dark, or they'll never beat it you got to act out on that faith in order to beat the fear. It is the great immobilizer for the church, and the reason is is the reason that the enemy has placed a fear on you. Listen to me as I play this logic out. He does not know the future. He is not everywhere, and he does not know all things. Don't ever ascribe to the enemy something that is not his. But I'm going to tell you, he does sense potential. And in the children of God, he may sense some potential in you and a place that God may want to use you to make a difference in the kingdom of God, and he's going to come right there, and in that spot, he's going to put an attack, and he's going to drop a fear that will immobilize you from doing and being all that God wanted you to do and be. Is that not exactly how you would attack? Listen, I've been a part of all kinds of plans of attack. I've never been in the military, but I coached third and fourth grade football. And, and, and you, you watch film. I, it blows my mind that that's what happens, but that's what happens. And you got this amazing defensive end. You just don't run the ball to him, you run it the other way. There's an attack and a plan of attack that happens. When, and and it, listen, the devil's been around a long time, he's got unbelievable endurance and experience. And then when he senses a child of God is going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, he he moves in there and he counterfeits what God has said and what God is doing. And he creates a lie and attaches a lie to the life of a believer to cause you to fear at the very point in which God wants to use you. And so as you look back and you identify the fear, your greatest fear, And evaluate the promises that God has given you. And then what is the word that goes with that? Listen to me. Identify that and do some homework related to that and think, what is it, God, you're trying to say? And what do you want to do? And the enemy has a tell. And one of his tells is the point at which he is attacking is what he's sensing God is wanting to do. If there's anything that will draw you out of fear is knowing the tell that the enemy has placed on your life could be an indicator of what God wants to do in you and through you. And I live with this. Listen, I I got specific fears that I deal with. God told me all kinds of things as I'm praying about coming to Tulsa to a dying and dead church. And I listed pages and pages, journal after journal entry of promises I believe the Lord was giving me. And I went through the work of attaching those to scriptures and looking at the scriptures that God was speaking to my heart. And some of those things have come true. But many of them haven't yet. And some of them seem so far in the distance that I'm not sure how that could happen in my lifetime. And I live with the fear of, God, did you really say that? And God, did you really promise me this? And, and, and did you really tell me that? That's my fear. And why do I tell you that? Because that's where I get attacked. And many times the enemy attacks me at the place that God wants to use me. And listen, it's one of those places because he brings up all kinds of questions in my mind. But I've got to resolve to be strong. To know who God is and to know the promises of God, to stand on the promises of God, to be committed to make a place, that be the place where God uses me, not where I'm immobilized by fear. So so what's your fear? And how does God want to use it? Because when we strip away the fear and we confront it and we move past it, we gain strength and we're free to truly be used the way that God wants to use us. So I've given you some assignments during the day for you to write down your fear, the promises of God and the word of God. If you've not done it yet, I just want to ask you to do this now. And I want us to move in his presence for the next couple of minutes. Where is he moving? And would you join him in it? And what is it that he would have you to do? So what I'm going to ask to happen is in all of our environments that a band would come. As the band comes, I'm going to ask them to play a song. And the reason we're going to play a song is I want to give you space and I'm going to give you room for the next three or four or five minutes to move with the presence of God. And you may want to come to the altar. And you may want to bring your little sheet with your assignments. If you haven't done it, you may just want to bring it to the altar and do it. If you don't know what it is, come and ask God. What is it that I fear? and What are your promises? and Where do I stand on the word? You may want to bring your Bible with the very word that God's given you and lay it on the altar and and just pour your spirit out to God over that verse and say, God, I'm standing on this. I'm not going to give you all the instruction. I believe the Holy Spirit will do that. And we're going to move with his presence. So I just want to give you space and I want to give you room in all of our environments to respond. Would you pray with me? God, we pray in this place and in all of our environments for the next few minutes that you would move with freedom and power and clarity. And that you would deal with each of us, your kids, and speak to our hearts and allow us to experience you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just respond appropriately next few minutes.
1: He's so faithful, he's so constant, so loving and so true, so powerful in all you do you feel.
0: command to each of us as your kids to be strong, not to fear or tremble or be dismayed is rooted in the fact that you are strong, you are mighty, Lord I pray that you would remind each of us of who you are, what you've done, what you are doing and what you have said, and that we would stand on the very word of God moving with your presence, abiding in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that as we do that as individuals, that corporately you would take the church and expand it for your name and your renown and your glory, for the good of those that need you and need relationship with Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we all say, amen. Amen.